As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we have a really interesting and quite lively conversation about toxins in commercial baby food and baby's first foods. And you might be thinking, how is it lively? It's a conversation about toxins in commercial baby food. Well, I have the joy of speaking to a very old friend of mine from more than I think it was about 25 years ago. So Melina Linkus Malkani is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, author, single mom of three, and trusted nutrition expert in local and national media outlets and publications. Melina is the author of the book, Simple and Safe Baby-Led Weaning, How to Integrate Foods, Manage Portion Size, and Identify Allergies, and the creator of an online course for parents called Solve Picky Eating. So Melina dives into this conversation, and this is based on data that came out in February of 2021, and she really lays out the information and honestly takes some of the worry aside, because if you just saw the data, you might, or just even saw the topic of it, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to feed my baby? But Melina takes us through this whole whole conversation and take some of the concern out and also offer some alternatives and ways to limit the exposure of these heavy metals that are found in commercial baby foods. So I think you're going to enjoy that. Also, if you stay till the very end, <laughs> you can hear our conversation, oh my goodness, of back when we were roommates. I believe I was 20, she was 19. I just tell the story that still makes me smile and giggle. So stay till the end for that. It just, <laughs> even thinking about it, oh, it was so silly. We were so silly. All right. So before we get to that, just a reminder that our classes are continuing online, but the we have really big news that we're officially pulling ourselves back into the studio, our official grand opening. So we, we're slowly starting the process and we're starting with just a couple classes, but I'm going to be back in the studio in July teaching some of my morning classes. I'll be teaching it live to the students there and I'll also be teaching it hybrid because we've created such a beautiful community beyond our walls of New York and I want to keep that thriving. So check out our website for all of this information of when you can come take class. And if you happen to know 
know a pregnant person or a new parent, please share this information. Help us rebuild, reopen, restrengthen. Now, if you're thinking, what do I do between classes? I can't necessarily get into the class or my body's hurting because I'm pregnant or just had a baby. I've got you covered. I have a free downloadable called Five Simple Solutions to the Most Common Pregnancy Pains. Now, this can also be perfect for postpartum pains. If you go to the website, prenatalyogacenter.com, you can find that free downloadable. And then it's like your little cheat sheet between classes so that your body still feels really good. No reason to suffer. I got you covered there. We've also been having people say, well, what are you going to do about your 85-hour teacher training? So we ran everything online recently. And as of now, we're going to end 2021 with our online teacher training. It is two intensive weekends, and that usually requires people traveling to New York or Caprice and I, my co-teacher trainee, travel elsewhere. And that can be expensive for everyone. So we are continuing for the rest of 2021 to offer two online teacher trainings. So if you're thinking you want to take it, but you don't want to have to accrue the expenses, check out what we have going on, prenatalyogacenter.com. Go to the teacher training page, see if the dates work for you. And then we're going to be back in person in January, February. We'll be at Willow Street Yoga in Washington, D.C. And then for the spring, dates are not quite figured out. We're going to be back in New York City. I am so excited to do some in-person teacher training. So I hope to work with those that are interested in supporting the perinatal community. It's really, it is truly a blessing to watch and walk along with people as they enter parenthood. Okay. We're going to take a super quick break and we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Melina. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, Melina. How are you? Hello. I'm so happy to be here with you. I am. I have like a grin from ear to ear. So, okay. You know, I'm all about transparency. So listener friends, Melina and I go way, way back. I mean, like <laughs> a couple of decades and we would like to say. <laughs> we, it's funny that we're now both in this world of supporting pregnant and expectant people because, and new parents, because we started our friendship. I won't even say the year because I don't think I even know it, but we were in our maybe 20, Early twenties, twenty twenty one, something. I think I was eighteen. I eighteen. I think it was twenty. Twenty, maybe nineteen. It was. It was so far back now that it is hard to remember. My I God, I feel like 
I go by, was I able to legally drink? And I feel like I was not. So I must have been 20 and we were roommates doing summer stock up in New (laughs) Hampshire. (laughs) And babies were the furthest thing from our minds. I mean, oh my gosh. (laughs) And I just remember you had this like moisturizing routine and you're like, don't you? And I thought, no. And so I still, I dedicate my skincare to you. <laughs> oh, you're making me laugh. Oh my so gosh. Hard. I'm like, tears in my eyes. This is so great. All right. So anyway, we're going to get on topic, but I'm just so happy to reconnect. And we got to reconnect when you were pregnant too. So that was super fun. Yes. Yes. We were talking about that. We were talking about how, because when I lived in the city, I did, I got pregnant with my first and I, and I found your studio and was so excited to see you. It had been years and, you know, walked in and I, I was telling you, I think it was on our IG live, how those, um, yoga classes that you taught were such some of my favorite memories of both being pregnant and then also after having had the baby and coming for your postpartum yoga classes with my baby that those were some of the sweetest moments that I had Aww. as a mom. um just moving my body and taking care of myself a little bit and and um you know trying to sort of acclimate to the world of of being a, a first-time parent and you sort of in such a gentle and beautiful way, help mothers transition through that period. And thank I, you. It is truly a joy and an honor and a, and a deep pleasure. I love what I do. So mm-hmm. I'm just glad that we continue to support one another. Our audiences are perfect and we just, we have different things we bring to the table. So I'm so excited to see different ways we can work together. But today's topic, <laughs> not, it's, it's so interesting. As I was, as I was thinking, like, what should we talk about? Toxins in baby food. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, so many, so many things we could talk about. But the, you know what? This, I'm really glad that you brought it up because this topic it it has come up um, a lot in the past several months because there was a report that was really a congressional report that came out, and when it did, I got so many really concerned and scared messages from parents and caregivers saying, "Like, what is going on with the baby food?" It was really when I was researching this and took a look at the in the information, I was quite surprised and really glad that we are going to have a chance to dive in. So I'm really going to hand a lot over it to you. So we'll talk about toxins and baby food and also baby's first foods, because even though my kids are not super old, I feel like the approach to feeding kids has changed. And my daughter's only just turned seven. It's not that long ago. So yeah. I'm excited to dive into all this because baby food and baby's first foods go quite well. So, all right. I know about you. I've known about you for a long time. So let's have other people learn a little bit about you. And then what, how did things transition from the stage to becoming a dietitian? <laughs> That's so, and I would love to ask you the same thing. <laughs> Going from the stage into yoga and, and, and your doula work. Um, but yes, so yes, I started in performing, which was how I met the wonderful Deb. Um, I was, um, I was basically based in New York. Um, I was in the performing world so and talented. did a lot of singing, acting, dancing, um, and traveled the country on national tours, appeared in regional theater, some off Broadway. And in that industry, I loved it. It was a great career, but you know, as you, I'm sure you know, there was so much 
pressure at that time in the industry to look a certain way and to be, you know, to sort of be slender. And I really learned the hard way that dieting and food restriction was not the answer Mm -hmm. uh, to that sort of um, issue. And as you know, too, since we did so many shows together, getting through eight shows a week requires an enormous amount of energy. And I started sort of learning about nutrition as a way to fuel myself because it was such a difficult, um, it was something that I was really struggling with as, as I was trying to, as I was feeling pressure from that industry, also knowing that I needed to have energy, um, I started looking into nutrition. Mm-hmm. Did you ever, did you have some sort of a, a path that was similar? My path came from, I was performing, I was doing a national tour and I was kept coming. Everyone kept saying, you have to meet this woman, Donna. And I'm like, who's this Donna person? And she had, she went also, she was a dancer, she was a ballerina and she went from performing to yoga and our paths kept crossing that people I knew knew her. And then it started to get to the point where I should, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I really should get to take this ballet class, but I'd rather take a yoga class. And then then I was actually up for a national tour. And I'm like, if I get that tour, I'm going to have to give up my yoga. And so it just started drawing me away from the stage that I loved performing. I still love it, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't something I was, something else like the love of yoga and teaching grew stronger. Yes, I can really relate to that. I can absolutely relate to that because as I studied nutrition more and more, I sort of fell in love with the science of it and the way that proper nourishment made me feel. Mm. I started feeling like this is a, there's a, a helping element to this profession that I, you know, I love performing. I will always love performing, but I wanted my life's work to take on a, a little bit more of a, like a tangible helping people in a, one-on-one and also group way, um, that nutrition filled uh, for me, uh, in a way that performing didn't. Um, and I still love it. I I'm so passionate about nutrition and I know always will be passionate about performing too. Um, but it felt like the right natural path for me at the time. And, and it's hugely successful. And it, let's face it, it's a little bit more steady and long lived for most of us, the, the, the dietitian and the work you do. Cause one can only perform for so long for the most part. Yeah. So yeah. I'm True. excited to jump in to toxic metals and commercial baby food. I still am like, what? All right. So I'm just going to hand it over to you. How is this even possible? Well, yeah, I mean, this is, it's, it's a really important question. And there was a lot of concern, um, like I said, that was born around the time that the congressional report was released in February, but it wasn't actually new news. Um, this, these sort of reports sort of circulate every few years. Um, and in 2019, there was a study by the Healthy Babies Bright Futures that found that about 95% of the baby foods that they tested in that report contained heavy metals. And so there was a big hoopla then as well. And it's, it's, it's really concerning, especially for first time parents, but for parents in general. Um, and I'm a single mom of three girls. My girls were all born within about three and a half years of each other. And so, you know, I've, I've been in the weeds of feeding multiple babies all at once and, you know, and trying to sort of, juggle all of the things that go along with that. And, and, and so as a dietitian working in the pediatric and maternal space, 
Um, what I try to do with my work is reduce as much of that stress or the parental and caregiver stress around food and feeding as I possibly can. And so it was, it was really hard when this report came out because I found that the news stories about the congressional report were a little bit misleading. Mm. Um, and that's because the issue of toxic metals in, in baby food is, is they made it sound like it was unique to baby food, but it's not. It's heavy metals are ubiquitous in the food supply because they exist in tiny amounts in the soil. They can also be found in water. And it's, it, this is certainly alarming. It's not something that we should dismiss. But, you know, again, the problem isn't necessarily with baby food. It's with the ingredients that are used to make it. And that's regardless of whether they're, they're grown organically or grown conventionally. Oh, that's going to be interesting because I can imagine people thinking, well, I'm buying organic or I'm making it organic. I should be in the clear, but you're saying no. Right. Exactly. Because, and that is because, um, these heavy metals exist in the soil. And so any food that's grown in the soil, whether it's organically grown or conventionally grown is, is, is subject to that. And that's because, you know, of the, it's, it's a result of the former use of pesticides and herbicides that they remain in the soil and they persist, um, even in those organically grown foods. Um, so, and then also processing, manufacturing and fortification with vitamins and minerals, this sort of adds more heavy metals into the foods as well. Um, so, so we have an issue that's just coming from, from the result of having used these, these fertilizers and, and some of the, the past agricultural practices. Are there certain foods that actually contain higher amounts of toxic metals than others? Because I remember seeing some sort of list of like the top 10 that you should always get organic. And I'm wondering if there's something similar in this. Well, the funny thing is that, that many of the, the common ingredients that are used to make baby food tend to have comparative, comparatively higher levels of the heavy metals in question. And these are foods like rice and, and carrots and sweet potatoes and foods that when, when we think of baby food, we often, you know, you often find them in those, those commercially prepared baby foods. And this does not mean that these foods are quote unquote bad. I, I get really frustrated when people sort of assign a, uh, a binary good or bad to these different foods. It, it really just at the end of the day means that we understand now more than ever in, in light of this report, how important it is to offer these foods and all foods in the context of a widely varied diet rather than offering sweet potatoes every day or multiple times throughout the day or, you know, same thing with rice or carrots. Um, that diet diversity and that variety is so important for, for many reasons. And, and not just so that we can sort of reduce um, the potential for any one specific contaminant. It's also on the flip side so that we can guarantee that babies and kids and people in general are getting a wide spectrum of nutrients from all the food groups as well. So that diet diversity is really important. That makes a lot of sense. And as you're saying the same foods, is this really just, this is across the board, whether it's baby food or adults eating, just to have a varied diet. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That I feel like as dietitians, we're kind of pounding the table all the time about the importance of a varied diet. And I start to sound like a broken record sometimes, but it, it is important from so many different angles. We, we look at it from so many different angles and it's important for, for so many reasons. All of a sudden I'm feeling very guilty. My son's vegetable every day for lunch and dinner, they both each kid has to have a vegetable before they can have their treat. And my daughter's go-to is peppers or carrot. The peppers or cucumbers, my son pretty much is carrots. And I'm like, okay, note to self, try to change that up. <laughs> well, and you know, if if the child is eating a vegetable, it, it is a win. It's a total win. And that's wonderful that you're offering. Um, and, you know, working in as much variety as often as you can is good too. But, uh, <laughs> you know, don't beat yourself up. <laughs> Just another thing to add to the list of beating myself up. Right, so what are the, what are the health side effects to this exposure? Well, so uh, before I dive in on that, I just want to say that, um, you know, when you really dig in on the numbers that are looking at some of the previous studies that were linking these toxic metals, really arsenic, you know, particularly arsenic and the negative health outcomes in kids, the exposure that we're talking, the level of exposure, um, that, for example, a baby may have had from commercial baby foods, from the baby foods in question in the report, are unlikely to come close to the level of exposure that was over time linked in previous studies with the negative effects. Um, so I just want to start by saying that because I can, I'm hoping that it will reduce some of the concern from parents about baby food, commercially prepared baby food. Um yeah, the report was definitely concerning, but but is it cause for panic when you really when you dig in on those numbers? No, um, arsenic exposure has been associated with lower IQ in children in the previous studies. You know those cognitive and neurological deficits, um, some behavioral problems. Um, but again, there are there's ways to look at it and ways to, ways to sort of approach it and some practical ways to reduce a baby and a child's exposure to those contaminants um, that we need to think about because they are present in the food supply in, in tiny, tiny amounts. All right. So let's look at some practical ways to reduce baby's exposure. And I know you mentioned rice, so we can go with that in a, in a moment. But in general, what are some practical ways to reduce baby's exposure to these contaminants that are everywhere in the food supply? Yeah. Yeah. Well, number one, like I mentioned before, is to serve a variety of foods. Um, and two reasons for that, again, you want that wide spectrum of nutrients from the different food groups so that babies can get all the nutrients they need to thrive and grow. We want to reduce um, the likelihood that they'll take in too much of any one specific contaminant. So the more varied the diet, the less likely that is. Um, I, you know, in my opinion, there's no need to go throw out all the processed baby food. <laughs> no need at all because in the context of a varied diet, it's completely possible to take that food and fold it into a varied diet over time, stretch it out, add it in here and there. Um, but you know, I, I had a lot of messages from people saying, I'm like, I'm bagging it all up. I'm tossing it after I was reading this report. And, um, you know, Families are struggling enough to feed their children right now. And at the end of the day, you know, fed is best. 
And we are doing the best we can to feed our kids with the food that we have access to. Mm -hmm. And I think really important to remember that our, our, our collective energy is really um, much better spent if, if we're going to focus it anywhere, um, putting it toward a, asking for higher standards from the FBA, the FDA and better reporting and more transparency around manufacturing practices than it is kind of, um, you know, writing off all commercial baby food or, or parent shaming anyone who has fed their children commercial baby foods. Like that's just not, it's not helpful. I'm so glad that you said that because I could imagine the stress. And I mean, right now there is a lot of stress and strain just to be, a, and always stress and strain to be a parent, but right now it's quite hard. And I can imagine some, it's not always possible to be like, okay, now, now what do I do? Especially if you're juggling multiple kids or jobs or whatever it is to not be able to rely on prepackaged baby food. Not everyone has the time or luxury or, or money to make it themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And there's, there is enough stress. <laughs> there's enough stress and strain that, that we're dealing with as parents and caregivers without taking that on as well. That's important. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but let's, but let's go back to the rice because I, you know, I think there's also ways to, to kind of, if, if there was a, a, a biggest re- concern from the report, um, it did seem to be the presence of arsenic in rice-based foods, mm-hmm. whether they're puffs or the iron-fortified um, infant rice cereal or teething biscuits. And it's funny because these are foods that aren't necessarily the most nutrient-rich to begin with. And so, you know, if, and if for, for any of your listeners, you know, I'm sure many of them have babies. If, if they've ever fed a baby, they know it's, um, a lot of the food ends up on the floor or in the, in the bib or, you know, on the wall. On their face. <laughs> exactly. As opposed to in the mouth. And so, or in the tummy. So we want to, and we want to maximize the nutrition in every bite we can because babies are small and because they're still learning how to eat and, and those, those, feeding skills are still developing. So one way to sort of um, reduce the likelihood of, of uh, intake of those toxic metals is to reduce um, or limit or avoid those rice-based foods. Uh, and there's a lot of practical ways to do that. There's great alternatives to infant rice cereal now. Uh, for example, some of the iron-fortified whole grain cereals like baby oatmeal cereal or, or whole grain cereals that are made with barley or quinoa. Um, there's great puffs on the market that are made with, um, ancient grains like sorghum. Um, you can do freeze dried fruit snacks instead of those little, uh, rice puffs or just frozen peas. If your baby's crawling or using a pincer grasp already, something that's a whole food. Um, so there's, there's, you know, something to, at the margins, consider limiting rice and, and rice-based foods. Um, and then another great way to sort of um, reduce some of the potential for that toxic metal exposure is to avoid fruit juice before the age of 12 months um, and sparingly, if at all, after that. And that that's a recommendation that's been around for a long time. 
And it's not just to reduce the baby's uh, and toddler's exposure to heavy metals, which the report did find in fruit juice, but for other reasons as well, like protecting their teeth and protecting their appetite for actual food as opposed to beverages, um, because too much juice can can make them feel full and then they don't want to eat. So, so these are just some some practical. And it's funny because these are recommendations that were kind of around before the report, they were, the, the recommendations haven't really changed too much in response to the report. So that's something. I'm glad that, that you highlighted this. Thank you. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. I want to talk a little bit more about this rice cereal because I feel like everyone thinks about rice cereal as the baby's first food and you just gave a whole bunch of great alternatives. So we're going to segue into that. We'll be right back. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we are back. So I'm glad you mentioned the rice and the arsenic content. And in general, I feel like, I don't know why, but rice cereal tends to be a lot of people's go-to. And this is a great segue for shifting into baby's first food. Why do we think rice cereal is at the top of a lot of people's mind for baby's first food? And do you have other suggestions for baby's first food? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny this question. Um, I did some digging into the history behind this question when I was writing my book, um, "Simple and Safe Baby Led Weaning," and it's a really interesting answer. Actually, it, back at the toward the like the turn of the century, the early 1900s, um, doctors were recommending that women breastfeed on a strict schedule, and they didn't understand at that point that when they weren't breastfeeding on demand milk supply went down. And so the babies were hungry and they said they were, they were kind of looking for ways to, to, 
you know, fill that hunger, but they were young. They were, you know, only two, maybe two, three months old and finger foods were not, you know, they, they were not developmentally able to eat them at that point. So rice cereal sort of came on the scene as a way that babies could be filled up without breast milk with, you know, it was a food that developmentally worked at that time. And they thought that it was well tolerated and that, you know, because it was bland, it was an appropriate baby food. But the funny thing about rice cereal is that it, it's not that well digested for babies under the age of six months. Um, and we know now that the more flavor and texture we can offer to babies starting at about six months of age when they're showing the signs of readiness for solid foods, um, the less likely we're going to have things like food fussiness down the road and the more adventurous the palate is going to be. So, so rice cereal, it's, it's not the best first food for a bunch of different reasons that don't even include the potential for, for the arsenic that is, that is present. It's so funny that that just kind of lingers in people's brain. Like I remember when we started our kids, both my mom, and my mother-in-law, like, so you'll start with the rice syrup. I'm like, actually, I think we're starting with the avocado. And they were like, what? Yeah, we were like, so what is this craziness you guys are doing? Uh-huh. I know it's true. And you know what? I hate to, I, I don't want to give the impression that rice is bad. It's, it's not a bad food. And it's in fact a cornerstone and a staple in so many different cultures. And, and there are ways to cook rice in such a way that the, that the arsenic content is lowered. And so if, you know, if there's a family that's listening that enjoys rice, like that's, that's okay. That's not a bad thing. So what is um, that way? <laughs> that like, we eat a, my daughter loves rice. So I'm curious. What is the way to reduce it, the arsenic content? Yes, absolutely. So, well, there have been some really interesting studies that that were sort of examining that that very question. And what they found, um, there was a 2015 study, um, and actually I have an evidence-based recipe on my website that that we'll lays link to that. it all out. Yeah, it's at melinamalkani.com. Um, but they were looking at when you cook rice with different ratios of water to rice, the more water that's used to cook the rice, the more arsenic is removed. And that was the case with both white and brown rice. Um, and when it, it's a large ratio, when, when a, a 12 to 1 ratio of water to rice is used to cook the rice, 50 to 70% of the arsenic can be removed from the rice, according to this. I'm going to have to look at that. So do you just cook it for a really long time? I mean, it's already takes a while. No, the water's going to take a long time to heat up. Yeah, the water's, and then you just pour off the extra. Um, But, you know, interestingly, one of the uh, other methods that they used to to cook the rice that they were examining was using a coffee percolator. Um, cooking rice in a coffee percolator. Yeah. And it actually was quite (laughs) effective as well. Um, so if you have a coffee percolator at your disposal, (laughs) (laughs) I can't say I do. I'll just be getting a big old pot from my rice now. Okay. (laughs) But this is helpful to know because my, really it's one of my daughter's favorites. I feel so badly. She loves rice with soy sauce. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, the rest of us are eating sushi and she's just having rice and soy sauce. Rice. Well, it's a great food. And so it's, it, it is, you know, I, don't, I certainly don't want to give the impression that it's a bad food. I, I don't think it's the best food uh, to start, you know, to, for, to offer first for babies. Um, you know, for babies who are at higher risk for food allergies, whose allergists have recommended 
early introduction of top allergenic foods like peanut and egg between four and six months of age. Rice cereal is a, it, it can be a vehicle, for, you know, into which you mix those foods to offer it um, in a in a spoon fed way to a baby who's, you know, not quite ready yet to, to self feed. So it's, there are certainly applications for it. Um, but, but, you know, I think that there are definitely, um, alternatives that are, that are better in a lot of ways. So what would some, so maybe we have, I'm confident we probably do have some new parents that they're around that age, their baby's starting to show some readiness signs, which we can talk to about in a moment, but what would be some foods that are really good beginning for, for first baby foods? Yeah. Well, so if you have a baby who is starting at about six months of age and is showing all the signs of readiness for solid foods, um, you can certainly start with finger foods. And I think starting with finger foods is a great uh, baby led approach that has a lot of benefits, a lot of potential benefits. Um, avocado you mentioned is a great one. It's a, it is a natural ripe avocado is a natural, excellent text. Delicious. And it's still good. <laughs> and it has those great healthy fats, which are so important for their brain development. It has some omega threes. It has a lot of fiber. Like it's just talk about nutrient rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, an avocado is is just bursting with some of those really important nutrients. Bananas, another favorite. Um, again, that texture for self feeding is just it's like made for <laughs> for a little a baby's little gums to mash down. Um, but broccoli is great too. A, a very soft, steamed um, stick of broccoli. It has a natural handle that a baby can hold and self-feed, kind of, kind of munch on. Um, I actually, interestingly, I started one of my daughters on pureed um, ground lamb. And that's a very, very, and <laughs> that's was, your Greek background coming out, right? <laughs> totally. You know me so well. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's a very iron rich food and it, it is important once babies hit about six months of age that they start to get, uh, good iron rich foods, um, you know, they, that they start being offered good iron rich foods at about six months of age. I have, feel like I hadn't thought of that when my kids were little about the iron rich foods. Is that, is it just maybe I was clueless, which is very possible or is this something that people are now a little bit more aware of? Well, it's, it's something that we've known about for a while, the importance of iron, um, you know, in, in utero, in those last few, um, months of, of being in mommy's tummy, the baby does lay down a lot of great iron stores and store up a lot of iron that gets them through that first six months or so of life. But starting like, you know, around between four and six months, they, they do start to need to get iron from food sources. And iron is, is a really important nutrient. It's actually a heavy metal, which is funny as we're talking about heavy metals, but it's a, it's a heavy metal that's, essential for brain development and for the development of the immune system for overall growth. Um, and it's, it's the part of that red blood cell that, that helps, uh, bring oxygen all around the body. So it's, it has a lot of really important roles. Um, but there's lots of ways to get great you know, lots of ways to offer iron rich foods to babies, even starting at about six months of age, some of which are a little surprising, I think. Yeah. Can you go into that? I'm actually quite interested in that. So you mentioned lamb. 
Yeah. Yeah. So if you, so if you are, are starting with purees, which is a perfectly valid way to go as well, um, pureeing meats is a, it's a great first food. Um, in any of those, any meats, it could be beef. That's a great, very bioavailable, uh, iron source. Um, poultry is a great, uh, iron rich food, fish, eggs, nuts and seeds, but obviously we have to, um, change the text. We can't offer whole nuts or globs of nut butters. We would need to uh, modify those foods to make them infant safe. But beans and legumes are very iron rich. Um, and so in, in my book, Simple and Safe Baby Led Weaning, I go into some ways to modify these foods to make them appropriate, uh, appropriately sized and textured for babies once they do start eating. I think that's so great. I'm so glad you brought that to my attention because I really had not thought of that. And it's interesting. I think our bodies also tell us what we need. And I remember at the end of both pregnancies, I was craving, and I don't really even eat this much, um, chopped liver. I don't know. That's my Jewish background coming out. I wanted the chopped liver and I couldn't get enough of it. That and anchovies. I remember my husband came home one time and I was standing in front of an open fridge with a small container of anchovies, just chowing it down. Is that higher in iron too? It is, and it also is. It's a great source of uh, omega threes, which are really important. And it's salty. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I still love anchovies. Oh, I wonder if that was my body being like, "You need this. Your baby needs this." I bet. I think there's something very real to that. I really do. So let's talk about. We talked about babies' first foods, but what are some of the signs that baby's ready for first foods? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when a baby can sit upright, um, with some minimal assistance and, and people sometimes get a little confused about, you know, what that means. I mean, minimal assistance, it, you don't, the baby doesn't need to be able to sit upright for hours and hours without any sort of support anywhere. Um, but if the baby can sit up, what, what we want is for them to be able to sit at a 90 degree um, angle to the seat for their hips and knees to be at 90 degree angles. And minimal assistance can include, you know, a couple rolled up dishcloths maybe to, on each side of the hips to keep them from sort of slumping or maybe a little pillow at the back. But we don't want baby to be leaning back in the high chair um, to start solids because then gravity is working against you mm-hmm. in terms of where the food is falling in the mouth. That's so interesting because I've seen some high chairs that, and maybe it's because they just want baby in the kitchen until it's old enough to sit up, but that actually recline pretty far back. Yes. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up because you've mentioned a few times how the recommendations and the information about infant feeding have changed so much over the past, I mean, even five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right about that. There, there has been, there have been such enormous gains in both evidence-based research with regard to infant feeding, but just also information and thoughtfulness with the design of different feeding tools. Um, and you know, the, the high chairs are no exception to that. There are high chairs that are really incredible on the market right now, which, which just facilitates self-feeding and infant feeding that is safer. And so, um, I think it's important to do our homework, uh, before, before, um, buying one, because I think if you think about a a high chair, how many times do you use a high chair? 
Oh my gosh. We actually just finally, a couple years ago, got rid of it because ours went, the one we, we invested in our high chair, it went from high chair and then you could drop it to just bring it against, it was a beautiful wooden one. I think it was a stokey one against the table. And then you could drop it even further to be just a chair, like a kid's chair. Yes. And that is so smart. It grows with the child and it's, it's, you know, built in such a way that it's supporting them in all the different stages of growth. And so I, I just think that's, that was very smart. Well, well thank you. <laughs> but when we think about this, like if you think about even cribs, you know, at one point they had the idea of like the drop down front. I don't remember what that's called, like the drop down bar. And now it's like, absolutely not. So mm-hmm. we should think about if one's in the position of not having maybe a hand-me-down high chair, examining what the current feeding recommendations are, the baby should be upright. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So that's, that's really important. And the other piece of the other sign of readiness or another sign of readiness is that baby can hold the head and the neck still when seated upright. Mm. So we don't want them leaning back and resting the head on the back of the chair. We want them to be able to hold that head upright um, and not too much without too much bobbling around. Is another sign that they're trying to reach for your food? <laughs> well, yes. I mean, that's, that's, well, there's two, there's two signs of readiness in there. One is that um, you want a baby to be able to grasp lar- larger objects mm. and bring them up to the mouth. Um, and then yes, showing an interest in food is a sign of readiness. And, and that can sort of look different from baby to baby. You have some that are very reserved and just sort of watch and maybe track track your fork as it's going from your plate to your mouth, but some are like downright lunging across the table of your food. So that is funny. So are there any foods that should be avoided when starting? Yes. Oh, but you know what, before I go to that, um, one other sign of readiness is that the tongue thrust reflex has disappeared. And that's that reflex where if you, if you touch a, you know, a baby's tongue or if you bring a spoon to the mouth and place it in, in the mouth, if the tongue thrusts the spoon out, that reflex has not disappeared yet. And it's, oh, interesting. Yeah. That sounds like an important one. Cause then if you're putting food in it and it doesn't have, it's then the kind of shoving the food out. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Super important. Um, but yeah, but another great question of yours about the foods to avoid during the first year. Um, so, the, you know, it's funny, there aren't many, um, there, and I, I like that, especially about a baby-led approach where babies are eating finger foods from the family table, um, as long as, they, you know, with some very minor modifications, they can eat most things that we eat as adults, and that makes our jobs so much easier mm-hmm. because we're not, you know, cooking two different meals, it's just one meal for the whole family, but... There are foods, it's a great question, because honey is something that should be avoided throughout the first year of life, um, and that's to reduce the risk of um, infant botulism, which is very rare, um, but it, but something's definitely to avoid. Even if it's cooked? Yep, even if it's cooked, baked. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So even breads or anything with an ingredient that is, that lists, you know, if, if honey is listed as an ingredient, it's best to avoid it. Honey graham crackers, anything with honey. Um, unpasteurized cheeses, milks, juices, anything unpasteurized, we want to reduce that risk of foodborne illness in an infant with a still developing immune system. So that would be something to avoid. What about if someone has a juicer and they're making it themselves? Well, you know, what I would say is 
a, a couple of things. First, that that juice is not recommended for babies anyway. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I missed yeah. that part <laughs> for a bunch of different reasons. Yeah, um, but but that would be a risk. Yeah. Okay. Good um, to know. Yeah, because we don't want to replace any of that essential breast milk and or formula, which is that number one source of nutrients throughout the first year of life. All right. So those are good. So in the past, I felt like people were like, oh, wait until try peanut butter. But now it seems like there's actually a push to bring some of those allergen prone foods a little earlier. Am I correct about that? Totally. And that's, I'm so glad you said that because as we're going through it, it's like, well, this, but not that, and this, but not that, but we used to think this, and now we think that. And so it's confusing. It's, it, it's, it's gotta be hard for parents, especially also for caregivers, maybe someone who raised a baby 10, 15 years ago when everything was completely different. Um, it's, it can be really difficult to navigate the changes. About to stand up on the information. Yeah, wow, that right. is hard. All <laughs> right, we're going to take another break and we come back. Now, you are the mother of three girls, so you've been through parenthood for a bit. If you have one tip or piece of advice, and it can be about anything, what would you like to offer new and expectant parents? We'll be right back. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right. So it can be anything. It can be from your background as a dietitian. It can be from you are a well-seasoned mother. What would you like to offer? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, I would just say as much as, as we can trust in our babies and our children's innate ability to meet their nutrient needs and self-regulate their own intake, as much as we can trust them to do that, um, it benefits them in the long term. You know, as a dietitian and, and as a mom, I'm always trying to take the long view of nutrition and and help parents raise kids who have a really healthy and positive relationship with food that carries them throughout their lives. And babies, and babies in particular, they're born with this really amazing ability to eat when they're hungry and stop when they're full, when we offer them a variety of healthy foods throughout the day. And I get so many concerned messages and questions from parents and from you know clients and patients who want to know, but how much should they be eating? Like how many tablespoons and how, what's the portion size that they should be eating? Um, and there's no easy answer to that because it depends on so many different things. It depends on their activity level and their size and their, you know, what they ate earlier in the day, what they ate earlier in the week. 
appetites fluctuate. And the more that we can build that internal ability to eat when hungry and stop when full, the better off we are in the long term. That Um, is so important. I'm going to take that to heart, even with my kids now, because there's times that they're heading off to school. I'm like, are you sure you don't want another egg? Like I'm like chasing them out the door. Do you want to squeeze a yogurt? Like Totally. I do it too. We're, we're programmed, I think as parents and caregivers, and especially as mothers to nourish, we'd want to nourish them. <laughs> like, And we think we know what they need better than they do. And, and that's not true. And then it's second, and then it's showing that, oh, maybe my mom knows something I shouldn't trust myself. So that, this, we can go down a whole rabbit hole about them finding self-confidence and self-reliance by us <laughs> chasing them food down their mouth. Uh, totally, totally. I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that. And you know, it's not to say that we just turn turn away and just sort of let them, you know, be completely on their own with regard to food. We would we want to watch those larger trends rather than counting bites, like you said, and tablespoons of food. But but looking at the larger trends, like the growth curve, is is the baby or the child following their percentile and their growth curve? Are they filling diapers? Are they are they more or less happy and seemingly satisfied after meals? These, these are the larger trends to watch rather than getting caught up in that day to day. Oh, that is so important. Cause I have seen that. I've seen all sorts of records that people keep of how many ounces and how many tablespoons. And I like that you're giving the permission to not have to worry about that. Cause again, as we talked about in the beginning of this conversation, there's already so much to worry about. You know, well, let's try, let's try to take stuff off our plates. Totally. Totally. I could not agree more. (laughs) So where can people find your work? Yes, yes, yes. Well, I am so excited to be launching my very first online course on infant feeding. And it's an easy place. You can find it really easily at babyledfeedingcourse.com. And that's going to be launching in July. Um, early bird pricing is available now, but it's launching in July. It's based on my book, Simple and Safe Baby Led Feeding, but it kind of takes the book and brings it up off the page into life with real life examples and, and, uh, lots of, of images and, and guidance. So I'm really excited about that. Um, my website, melinamalkani.com has lots of free resources, um, lots of articles and recipes and, and things to help guide you on your feeding journey. And my Instagram, um, is at healthy.mom.healthy.kids. And I post daily there about pediatric and maternal nutrition and my motherhood journey. Um, and I'm always happy to connect with people there. Oh, this is such great information. I am so glad we got to connect. I just love talking with you. I love that your brain is so wrapped up in this and that you're just giving this information to people because it's, it's necessary. Things change and you're really up on the data, which I appreciate. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is so my pleasure to join you here. And we have such a rich history, you and I. <laughs> oh, people only know. I'm thinking back to boyfriends and slurs in that teeny room. Okay, listeners, if you stay to the end, you just have to listen to one small story. I don't know if Melina still remembers this. Do you remember the dishwasher? Oh, all right. So friends, if listeners are still here, 
(laughs) So I think this was maybe one of our first or second nights in this house. I think there are maybe a couple other, again, we were 19 or 20. And I will admit I was just in dorms before then. Um, you know, I didn't do a lot of dishes and we were, I think it was really our first or second night and we were running the dishwasher and I didn't know for whatever reason. And clearly Melina didn't know. Am I embarrassing you with this? I can always cut it. I am remembering this. You remember this? It was such a Brady Bunch moment. (laughs) We poured the liquid dish soap in the dishwasher. And then I think it must have been the first night and then went off for like our, our company meeting. Everyone's meeting each other and like, hi, you know, performer. It was wonderful. And we come back and the kitchen is filled with suds all over the floor. Do you remember oh, this? It was, it, it was like the suds took over the house. I will never forget that. I will never forget that. <laughs> I had to call some of the stagehands and get a wet back. So... <laughs> I can't believe you brought that up. I'm here to embarrass us. (laughs) I still remember it. I still have that flash in my mind. Oh, that was hysterical. And and you know what? That kicked off a summer of so many more moments like that (laughs) between us. (laughs) Which some of them will just keep to ourselves. That was such a good time. I just love chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. I wish you all the best and I cannot wait to collaborate with you again. Yay. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.